my name is Rick Archer, and my guest this week is Doc Roberts from Durango, Colorado. Uh, Doc has an interesting story, which you'll hear. Uh, his awakening occurred in a way which most of us would probably choose to uh, let this cup pass from me. Um, he pretty much died, and uh, then he had an awakening. But I'll let him tell the details. So, Doc, welcome to the show. Thank you. And... Uh, Let's start as we usually do with just a little biographical sketch, you know, I mean, where you're from, what you do, things like that, so people get a feeling of just your life in, in a relative sense, and then we'll kind of get more into the, the whole, the, the, the meat of it. Okay. Well, I live in Colorado, um, outside Durango. Um, I have a couple internet businesses that I run, and I have two kids. Making skis. Making skis. Skiboards. Skiboards. Um, I also have a vocational uh, counseling uh, website that I do, and uh, do some teaching and speaking hmm. uh, around the around the area. Vocational type teaching. Yeah. Huh. Yeah. Cool. Um, then I have two kids and um, live in the woods. <laughs> well, I'm envious. In fact, uh, Doc told my wife about his circumstances, and she went right in the other room and started looking on the internet at real estate in, in his town. Um, so, you have a, you, you've like learned TM years ago or something? 1970. 1970, and, and did it regularly for what, a decade or a couple decades? A couple decades at least. And you became a teacher also? Teacher, governor. Yeah. Yeah, once a whole, a whole process. Governor means like an advanced teacher. Sort of. yeah. And, uh, and then, uh, and you know, as you were doing all that, I mean, what was your orientation to spiritual spirituality I mean did you feel like enlightenment is a million miles away were you having great experiences were you what was your soul you know were you a I seeker was, I was having typical experiences I've been a seeker since I was five uh -huh. um, meditating I started spontaneously meditating when I was five uh -huh. um, was you, meditating. Would, you would actually just sit and meditate yeah huh. yeah um, up until I learned TM pretty much wow so pretty regular, like almost every day? Yeah. Um, I was actually in uh, competitive roller skating. I was a national champion for many years. Hmm. And part of the regimen was to um, practice eight hours a day. Wow. So I would just immediately go right into the transcendent for huh. like eight hours, not know what happened. So you'd just be in the zone while you were practicing? Yeah, for eight, you know, seven days a week. Competitive means like uh, dancing type or racing? Um, fig or figure skating. Figure skating on roller skates. Yeah. Jumping and twirling and uh, no, I did the circles on the floor, oh. which is kind of intricate and huh. very precise. And it's all very competitive, and there's national champions. And yep. Huh. Very interesting. Just a little minute move, yeah. and uh, and you're out and they're in. Yeah. So, so did you do like a type of meditation at all, where you would sit and close your eyes and go deep, or was it more like that your roller skating put you into a, a meditative kind of uh, place? It was meditation in action, more like um, yeah. Zen mindfulness. And then, uh, what l led you to decide to learn TM? Hmm. I saw a poster. They said, hey, for 35 bucks, we'll get you enlightened in five years. And I signed up. <laughs> <laughs> that was in Colorado also or somewhere no, else? No, that was in uh, Long Island. Ah, I'm yeah, from that area. I was going to school there. Yeah, I'm from Connecticut. Oh, okay. Originally. And uh, so, when you learned to meditate, TM style, did it kind of like really knock your socks off? Or was it like more like... Hey, I, I've been doing this since I was five. 
No, it was it was definitely a clear transcending. It was very powerful for me. Mm-hmm. And I guess on another level, I really knew this is it. Yeah. You know, this is this is what's going to get me where where I want to be. I knew there was always something that was missing, some mm-hmm. kind of secret that these masters knew. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I wanted to know what that was. So. Yeah. And so you started meditating. Did you feel like you were kind of getting a glimpse of that? Yeah. Yeah. Pretty periodically. Yeah. yeah. You know, you drop into the transcendent. You you have those experiences, and you come back into your daily life. <laughs> I can't wait to get back there again. Yeah. But did you also feel over time that, you know, it was beginning to stick? In other words, you, you know, you didn't, it wasn't like you went back to absolutely the way you had been when you were kind of your daily life. Something of the transcendent was brought into activity. Life was improving, I'd yeah. say. Life was getting a little bit, well, I wouldn't say easier. It was um, um, more enlivened. Mm-hmm. And uh, you taught TM like full time for a while. Yep. Whereabouts? Florida. Oh, she, yeah. my wife taught in Florida too, Daytona Beach, oh, right around the Merv way. Yeah, me too. Oh. St. Petersburg. St. Petersburg. So I was there a couple of years, and I went. Um, By the Merv way, incidentally, I mean that uh, in 1975, Maharishi Mahesh Yogi went on the Merv Griffin show, and uh, huge numbers of people started learning TM. Fifty thousand people a month, you know, lined up around the block. So. We yep. call, call it the Merv Wave. Yep. That was a good time. <laughs> yeah. I was over in Switzerland, Switzerland with Marshy at that point. I had already done enough speaking. So, uh, all right. So then you were teaching full-time. And at a certain point, you probably thought, like, well, I better get a life and, uh, you know, get a job and start to, you know, be, hold down some responsibilities. You, you got married. Yeah, well, first I went on the six-month course, and after the six-month course, I had a brainstorm to get my master's degree. Oh. Six-month um, course, by the way, are these courses that um, TM teachers did where they would do long meditations for six months, and sometimes they'd put the courses back-to-back and be doing long meditations. By long, I mean, you know, pretty much all day long for, you know, a year, a year and a half, some people did. And uh, so you did one of those. Did one of those? a master's degree. Went to Amherst, then moved from there to Fairfield when they were just starting the, yeah, the community, yeah. starting to build the domes, right. that whole thing. So, but um, but yeah, I had I had gone. Let's see, um, I can't remember now if I went to college first or moved to Fairfield first. Then went to college, but huh. either way, I ended up you know going to college, starting a practice. What'd you um, do your master's degree in? Uh, vocational counseling. Oh, okay. Yeah. And uh, you moved to Fairfield, did a practice here in that. I actually kind of started a practice here, so yeah, I guess I did it right after the six-month course before I went to Amherst and mm-hmm. came here. Hmm. Um, and uh, and then what? Then I was getting a little bit burned out on Fairfield and not having a wife and kids and mm-hmm. a real life. Yeah. So, uh, so I went to eligible candidates around here. Yeah. So I went to California to start my private practice and mm-hmm. seminars, and then met my wife, and then it, you know went from there. Eventually moved to Colorado, which is where I wanted to be. Yeah. And uh, right to Durango then? or uh, a Boulder. Boulder, okay. And then eventually you moved down to Durango. Yeah. Okay. Well, that was a quick survey. <laughs> I'm sure there's some interesting details along the way. but uh, And then, you, uh, if, if it's the next appropriate thing to tell in the story, I understand you had a health crisis. Well, um, to backtrack just a bit, mm-hmm. I um, was finishing my PhD. It was in um, psychology of human potential. 
and I was also starting a new business, which mm. was something completely different. So that's why you called Doc. You have a PhD. Yeah. Okay. So, so I started a business with ski boards, uh-huh. and, um, and that just started taking off, overcoming the house, and that was part of the decision to move to Bayfield for cheaper warehouse space. And you were building the ski boards in your house, more or less? Uh, no, but we were shipping, we were oh, ordering, no, I was right. representing a lot of other companies. Yeah. So we moved um, in 2001 there, and I'd say that was the beginning of the dark night of the soul. Uh-huh. And so Bayfield is just a suburb of Durango. Um, kind of, it's 18 miles out of 18 town. 18 miles out of town. And ski boards, by the way, you can describe them better than I can. Well, there, there's two of them. They're short. Um, there's almost no learning curve. Um, they're super fun right from the beginning. I call it instant skiing, instant fun. Mm-hmm. Um, so they're wider. They're a little bit wider than regular narrow skis. Yeah. But they're shorter, so most people that can stand on their feet without wobbling can get on these and start having fun. Yeah. Without lessons. And do even fairly advanced skiers enjoy them? Or yeah, they, they just, do. They just rather go to the old kind, you know, the regular. Well, kind. they do, but then they find they can go through moguls like they never did before. They can huh. go through trees that they couldn't do. Yeah. They can go on steep stuff. They go in powder. They can. That's you interesting. Know, so it opens up a whole. Yeah. I mean, I totally lose it when I get into some moguls, you know, and I don't ski that much, but when I get the yeah. chance, I'm good on smooth stuff, but right. the moguls is like, ugh. <laughs> yeah, these are, moguls are made for ski boards. You can yeah. play in them. Cool. You know, ride the sides and all that. And you have a website, like skiboards.com? Skiboards.com, yeah. Cool. Well, we'll, we'll link to that from backgas.com cool. also. Um, okay, so, uh, so the Dark Knight. Dum, da, dum, dum. I don't know if I need to go into too much no, details. You should. Let's talk about well, it. It's kind of like everybody else's big dark night, you know. Uh-huh. The um, bad partner, you know, sent me reeling. Um, bad well, partner means the marriage was. No, I brought a partner into oh, my business. Oh, a business partner. I see. Which was a disaster. Um, at that point, my health was starting to get affected. Mm-hmm. My By wife was starting to get everything. a little bit annoyed with the company. Yeah. Um, the finances were kind of up and down. We had two young children at that point. Yeah. So. All of that, there's just a lot of pressure. Uh-huh. Uh, and that kept building and building, and um, a few other things came. You know, dog died, um, got disinherited by my father. It's just, you know, hmm. you know, pile it all on. Why not? Yeah. <laughs> Why not? So then um, it just didn't work out with my wife and I. She left, and my health was starting to decline. Mm. Um, the divorce wasn't fun. Do you feel like it was because of the, the stress of all these circumstances that your health was going under? Yeah, definitely. Yeah. All of that. The, the divorce, the business. Um, yeah. Were you still meditating? Um, kind of a little bit here and there. But yeah, it was coming at you so much that you'd sort of drifted away from that a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. And um, so did it sort of reach a climax of some kind? It did. About um, three and a half years ago. Um, which is when when we decided to break up. Uh-huh. Um, then my health started going down a little bit. The business started having problems. I couldn't keep up with the business. Yeah. Um, so more and more and more and more. And so pretty much I, I lost my wife. I almost lost my company. Um, spent all my money on the divorce, um, you know, the legal um, problems. And then most of my savings um, in the divorce went to her so I could keep the house for the kid. Mm-hmm. And then uh, my health was going, it was declining rapidly um, to the point where my cardiologist one day um, had a blockage in my lung. And so he said, your heart is having trouble moving fluids. Huh. What kind of a blockage? Just um, um, blood clots. Really? Right in my lungs. And they couldn't take them out? or They could. Oh, that's, okay. That's, so he said, here's your options. You've got yeah. three options. Um, you can either have a heart and lung transplant mm-hmm. if you wait. You can get this experimental surgery in San Diego. Or you're going to die. Right. 
seven deaths. And why is there a danger of these clots breaking loose and causing a stroke or something? Well, they're already in the lungs, but yeah, they could move and then really clog. Clog something. Know, clog serious. it up. Yeah. But it was clogged enough that I just barely managed to get on a train, um, bought a one-way ticket, signed over everything, put it all in a trust for my kids. Mm. Um, when I got there, my friend drove me to the hospital, and um, and I gave her everything else that I had, my shoes, my money, my laptop. <laughs> I was essentially in the hospital alone. Um, Expecting never to come out. Yeah, and the experimental surgery was fairly experimental, so um, so I didn't know, yeah. you know whether I was going to make it or not. And then right before I even got in the operating room, um, I remember I just I was starting to have trouble breathing, and then I just remembered my last breath, and that was it. Hmm. That's gone. Did you pass out, or did they put some uh, anesthesia on you? No, there's no anesthesia. Right. I hadn't gotten to that point. So you went out, and, and you, you went unconscious, and somehow they kind of kept you alive and started operating on you. They tried the electro um, electric um, shocks. Shocks, yeah. That battles. didn't work, so then they had to massage my heart and bring me back. Open yeah. your chest and massage it. Wow. So they brought you back. Yeah, so heart massage. But you didn't know you were brought back, so you were out of there. Yeah, Yeah. heart massage is pretty cool. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Not many people get that. Yeah, really. Um, But were were you having any kind of -of out-of-body experience or near-death experience or anything like that, or were you just gone? No, it was pretty much, uh, I didn't get all the flashy stuff that everybody else got. Mm -hmm. I just went straight into what I knew was pure consciousness. Oh, so you you were conscious in a sort of... Unmanifest, non-specific, non-perceptual way. There was just consciousness there. Yeah, there wasn't me there. It was right. just consciousness, just eternal. Um, you could call it a number of names. You know, love, peace, being. Right. Well, um, actually, at the at that time, while they were massaging your heart and all that stuff, were you was consciousness aware of itself, or did you realize when you came out of the whole thing that consciousness had been awake in the you know throughout the ordeal? Hard to say, because when you're kind of outside of time and space, you're just there. Yeah. And so you don't know how, I mean, I, I didn't know how long, it just seemed like it was, You're just you know, dwelling eternal. in that, yeah, in that just, eternity. Yeah. Yeah, and there was no thought saying, oh boy, this is fun. It was just like... There was no witness. I right. Mean, there was no me looking, wow, look at me, I'm, you know, in this state. Yeah. <laughs> yeah it was only afterwards that I came back and I knew what had happened. Yeah. Well, obviously the operation was successful, or we wouldn't be having this interview. Yeah. Um, so, was it a long operation, Dina? It was twelve hours. Twelve hours, and how long did it take you to come out of the anesthesia? Uh, two weeks. Well, they kept me in a they coma. kept you in a coma, coma for, two, for weeks. two weeks. Yeah. Okay. And um, so, and as far as you know, that that pure awareness was there during that two weeks. I'm pretty sure. Yeah. <laughs> Can't say for sure. And so you I didn't f- exist anymore. Right. Just awareness. Just awareness. That's yeah. all there was. And so then you finally came out, and? Um, at first, I just, I remembered that experience. I think about the first thing that came to me was this, this um, it was almost like a, like a, a feeling of love just coming over me. Huh. And it was kind of not, it was not verbal, but it was, it was everything is okay. Uh-huh. Um, everything is perfect. All is good. And everything that happens in life is for your for your highest. Mm-hmm. So so basically, there's no need for fear. There's no need to be concerned. There's no need to ever yeah. worry again. It seems like even when you talk about that, you get a little emotional. Yeah, you just feel moved by it. Very moving. Yeah, because you felt like sort of a bless a blessing or something. I felt 
I felt all the remnants of stress in my body just dissipate, dissipate, yeah. including my first chakra there. You know, no fear of survival, no fear of death any longer, because mm. I was dead. You know, yeah, you've done that. <laughs> yeah, done that. Not much to it. Um, fun to be back. Mm -hmm. Even though I was in the ICU, I just kept thinking, wow, I, I could just stay here the rest of my life, and this would be really cool. Uh -huh. So, and uh, so you, you you came out, and did you feel like a new man? I mean, did you feel like you had undergone this some kind of profound spiritual shift? Not yet. I knew something had happened. I was kind of back. I heard this kind of this, this vibration or this noise that mm -hmm. was coming, and finally I just started paying attention to it, and then they were calling my name to bring me yeah. back to consciousness. Right. And then it took probably a couple days to, to kind of learn how to write and walk and you know speak and, uh -huh. and just kind of get used to Because you've been so out of it. For, yeah, yeah, just kind of get used to all of these different things, but it all felt new. All, it all felt like the first time. Like everything really? felt like the first time. Not that you didn't know how to do those things. I mean, you remembered how to speak. You remembered how to brush your teeth. And yeah, the you, habits. You knew people's names and stuff, but it, you felt like it was like all afresh. Just uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Hmm. And um, then I was there. They so like I, the conditioning had been wiped out, sort of. I mean, the the sort of ingrained habit patterns, you know, calcified ways of seeing and thinking and feeling and doing have been erased. Yeah, I'd say the hard drive was completely erased, and then uh -huh. it was starting to reboot again. Yeah. <laughs> little by little. Yeah. Um, I got to say, it was a great experience in the hospital. Mm -hmm. I just, I was, um, and I didn't sleep much, because they were kind of in every half hour or something. Right. And that, that broke that habit. I didn't even feel like I needed sleep anymore. Huh. Um, and they told me it'd take two months to get out. You know, I'd be in there for two months. And within two weeks, I was out. Because hmm. you recuperated um, so fast. I recuperated very fast. Um, yeah. And they kept calling me Miracle Man because they didn't understand that nobody had ever gone into the surgery and had died before they got into the operating room. Yeah. A lot of people die in the operating room. Uh -huh. um, and then the, the process was once they got my heart going again, then the surgery, they stopped your heart. Intentionally. Twice. Intentionally, twice in to a row. To rebook things. And, yeah, yeah, for 20 minutes each. So. Wow, had to be on a machine, obviously. Yeah. yeah. Huh. So yeah, it was quite, I'm glad I wasn't around watching all that. Yeah. <laughs> you know, those people that hover over their bodies and watch all this, is like, you know, <laughs> all power to you, but I'm yeah. glad I didn't. So, um, where did you have, like, so you got out of the week hospital in two weeks, but were you still really, um, you know, t uh, weak and, you know, needing a wheelchair or anything like that? Um, I was weak. Um, when I was in the hospital that two weeks, they said, well, if you start walking around, you know, you, you know, you probably recover a little quicker. Mm -hmm. In their mind, it's walk around the hallway. Yeah. In my mind, I put all my equipment that was attached to me in a wheelchair and I was out the front door. <laughs> <laughs> walking out in the parking lot, you know, <laughs> yeah. um, sitting on the bench. <laughs> um, it was great. Huh. Interesting. And uh, so then when you finally got out of there, obviously, you were free of equipment. Yeah. And uh, then what? You, I guess you had to buy a, another train ticket back to Durango. I stayed at my friend's for a couple of weeks just so I could kind of, I, I still couldn't walk more than maybe, um, you know, a quarter of a block. Right. But then I started building my strength up, and when I was ready, I, I got on the train and went back. Mm -hmm. um, got hit with my second dark night of the soul, which was interesting. Oh, that's interesting. Wow. Yeah. 
Oh, in terms of again of external circumstances coming yeah. at you. Yeah. Oh, okay. Things. Um, Sometimes things. people say when they say dark night, they mean there's nothing particularly wrong on the outside, but they just feel like crap on the inside, you know, and depression and not everything is meaningless. And yeah, that was that the first. That was the first one. Uh -huh. The second one was more like, um, oh, so you're attached to this. Well, let's take yeah. that away. Rip. <laughs> yeah. Uh -huh. So, um, so that was about a year process, and meanwhile, I was starting to realize there was something different. Mm -hmm. When I got back home um, to my house, I just was looking around going, oh, this person lives in this house, and oh yeah, they're interested in spiritual and psychology books, I could see them on the wall, and um, oh, they have two kids, yeah. and they have this business, uh -huh. <laughs> and just kind of... You start reassembling your... Yeah, and so for probably, I don't know, first year, I kept thinking, well, I must be a walk-in or something must be, huh. you know, something's not the same anymore. Yeah. Um, and so, uh, you know, now I understand that awakening was there. Mm -hmm. um, I guess you could call it the awakened one took, took over. Um, yeah. The but, self but, with a capital S. Yeah. So I wasn't, the, the small me wasn't there anymore. Mm -hmm. So, um, um. So everything was different, and yet the small everything me was wasn't there at all, or well, there the was a habits, bigger me that predominated. The habits were there. Yeah. Same habits, same thought patterns, same mm -hmm. you know responses. Right. But somehow, I could just see them as a veil. Yeah. Um, and, and all the time, I kept feeling, especially for the first year, that wherever I was looking, mm -hmm. I could just see, like, kind of in this movie Twister, when um, uh, they have a tornado coming and it comes through the drive-in theater. Uh -huh. And everybody's watching this movie, and all of a sudden the screen cracks. Uh -huh. You know, as the tornado comes through, that's yeah. what it felt like. It felt like, wow, any moment this whole thing could crack apart, uh -huh. and there'd be what's the only thing there is is being. Yeah, be sitting right there. So you kind of felt like everything was a, just a sort of a, a facade or a like a movie, a, like a movie. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, It didn't have the same kind of reality that it once it had. No, not that there aren't thoughts that have come over the last two years that have grabbed me for a while. Yeah. Sucked in, and I had to, mm -hmm. you know, deal with those. But there's a certain—I hate to use the word detachment because mm -hmm. that sounds cold. Cold, yeah. yeah. Um, but but there was a certain like, oh, okay. Um, well, here's a bill from the IRS for six thousand. And I'm like, okay, you know, I really don't want this. And, yeah. You know, I had the thought patterns come up, and then it's like, you know, I just dealt with it. And yeah. Moved on. Moved on. So in other words, things don't have the gravity they used to have. They don't. They don't have the capacity to grip you as they once did. Yeah. Yeah. And even though they might grip momentarily, they can't keep a grip. Yeah. Yeah. Now in the beginning, I, of course, was it was coming at me, and I go, oh well, you know, like um, for probably the first three months, I was just sitting on the deck listening to the birds, mm -hmm. just like, oh no, this is. I just want to do this. Yeah. So I'd get a bill. A couple bills would come in, and I just throw them in a box. <laughs> <laughs> For about three months, and then finally people started calling, and then some lady called. She said, well, you owe this much money for the hospital bill. And they said, if you don't pay it today, you know, we're going to take your heart we're, back. We're, well, we're going we're to call the, um, the credit bureau, and, yeah. and it's going to ruin your credit. Did you have uh, insurance, health insurance? I did, but there were a lot of bills Still that didn't a lot of bills, sure. Yeah. So, and I remember myself going, you know, just for a moment, it was like, oh, my credit. And then it was like, and I just kind of re relaxed, and I went, I just said to her, Okay, yeah. <laughs> so my credit went down, and it's like, wow, what a relief. 
<laughs> now I don't have to think about it. I've thought about that my whole life. Yeah. You know, like, oh, I better watch out. I better, you know. Yeah. And it's just like, oh, well, that's gone. Hmm. So, um, so it was kind of like that for the first year. And meanwhile, I was, I was trying to figure out what had really happened. Yeah. Because I remember calling some people, especially John Macy and, and a few other people, and just saying, I came here in October mm -hmm. trying to get in touch with people who might know what was happening. Yeah. And I remember all of them saying, well, that's awakening. Right. I'm like, that can't be awakening. Mm. That doesn't sound like cosmic consciousness. Mm -hmm. <laughs> that doesn't sound like yeah. unity or GC or all the things that I imagined it should be. But the message kept coming back, simplest form of awareness. Mm. Uh, and it was kind of like, well, what do you think simple awareness was? Right. <laughs> what do you think you it was some big thing? Yeah. And so all of a sudden it, it hit me and it was like, oh, this is it. That's it. Huh. Um, and, and even though everything felt like it had changed completely, nothing had changed. Everything was the same. Mm -hmm. So it was, it was a kind of strange duality. Um, but, but that sense of, you know, am I awake? And then I'd like start doubting. It's like, well, no, that, this can't be it. You know? mm. And I'd go back and forth for a while. And then eventually it just kind of seeped in. Probably, I'd say it probably took a year mm -hmm. um, before I just finally just like, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, this is it. <clears throat> Did you, uh, were you reading any of your old spiritual books to see if what they said jived with what you were experiencing? You know, it's funny. Um, it's a good question because... When I looked at all my spiritual books, I couldn't bear to pick them up. Hmm. Okay. There was only one that I hadn't read, which was Jack Kornfield's book. Um, I think it's uh, after the some after the ecstasy of the laundry. Or something. Yeah, 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 that's what it was. And I found myself flipping through all the chapters till about halfway through or so, until it finally started making sense to me. Yeah. The and then um, about a month, I think about a couple months later, I went to visit my friend in Boulder. And he was really into Ajna Shanti. Uh -huh. And so he was running late, and I found his book, Emptiness Dancing. I started reading that with tears flowing out of my eyes because it was like, oh, my God, this guy knows yeah. you know, he knows my experience. Yeah. So um, so I got kind of turned on to Ajna Shanti and maybe his couple of his books. Mm -hmm. But other than that, no, I, I couldn't find any books that I mm. really related to anymore. But you kind of felt that talking to people who were awake was helping you more than books. Yeah. Okay. And did you just, did you find some of those elsewhere or mostly in Fairfield? Fairfield, but also um, even though my, my, my friend had been following Shanti and I, they gave me a tape yeah. um, to listen to on the way back to Durango, which mm -hmm. was the end of your world. Right. And all the, you know, what the process of awakening really is and all the things that are going to probably hit you afterwards. Mm -hmm. And all of that was making sense. So, yeah. So more and more it was kind of seeping in. Right. You know, that this is what it was. And, and definitely I related to the cosmic joke. Mm -hmm. As soon as I got it, it's like, what? Yeah. That's it? This is it? You know, and I remembered like, well, I've had this since I was a kid. You know, mm -hmm. I just didn't know that was it. it was, yeah. Yeah. Um, so I, I laughed for a really long time when I kind of got that. And you had it when you were a kid, but obviously you got, got mired in, in the pressures of the world and, the, you know, the responsibilities and the... Yeah the dramas to the point where you you know you pretty much forgot it yeah you, you know? totally lose it yeah yeah and then this kind of crisis reminded you or you know en enabled it to come to the surface again i know it kind of sounds extreme to die to get you know awakened but um for me it was much more of a blessing because 
I have a very analytical mind. And yeah. If I if I had been, you know, meditating and then it kind of you know dawned on me, I totally doubt it. Yeah. It'd be too subtle. This was like night and day. Dying died, for you. came back, yeah. different person. I guess we could modify the saying in your case to say, you know, whatever sinks your boat. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, whatever works. Yeah. Huh. So, uh, so really, it's a, you know, the, the, the sort of the confidence in it is relatively new for you. Just a year or so, maybe, it sounds like. Yeah, it's, it's um, my anniversary was of the old me dying was Jan uh, July 24th, and July 25th was my rebirth. Of what year? Um, 2008. Oh, and that's when you had the operation, or that was like a year after the operation? No, um, July 24th, 2008 is when I actually died. Physically. And then yeah. the operation um, yeah. coming through, it was July 25th when I actually, oh. I call that. So that's really like two years up. ago. It's just barely two years. Yeah, ago. yeah, okay. Um, funny, I just had my, July 25th is my anniversary of learning to meditate when, oh. I, when I was 18. So that just happened for us. Huh. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, uh, and so now I get the sense that your business is doing okay again? Yeah, yeah. actually, um, everything is kind of turned around. Everything's kind of coming back together. Well, you know, the funny thing Credit is... Credit score is going up. <laughs> oh, I don't know about that. that I, don't, I don't really care. Yeah. Um, but it seemed like... Um, something in not being attached mm -hmm. to the outcome yeah everything just kind of flows however it's going to flow yeah and it seems like it's always beneficial and I remember those words when I first came to consciousness that everything is perfect mm -hmm. there's nothing to be concerned about nothing to worry about um, it's 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 your love and you're yeah. always and always it's for your highest good so then all the things that were starting to come at me and continue to come at me mm -hmm. I see it as a blessing yeah. Even though I, I would say, well, I don't like this. Can it come this way? Right. <laughs> you know, but still it comes how it comes. It's a blessing, yeah. Yeah, but there's a, something in that lack of attachment mm -hmm. um, that makes it so much more e easy. Yeah. Well, there's so many sayings, both, you know, in contemporary culture and in ancient literature, like, you know, let go and let God, um, yeah. you know, seek you first the kingdom of, of God and all else will be added unto thee. Yeah. Um, Gita says, uh, you know, what is it? Be not attached to the fruits of action, you know, and and uh, all sorts of things like that. Um, so it's every every culture has has realized this, right? And uh, I think what people often do is they try to just adopt an attitude of that, and maybe that helps a little bit. But you know, what you know, what you're experiencing is, you know, in a really sort of deep, visceral sense. Um, being grounded in a, in a state of non-attachment or a, state of, a, a yeah. state of consciousness which by its very nature is not attached to phenomena and therefore you're kind of in a place where I'm putting words in your mouth but you're kind of in a place where you, you can allow things to just flow freely in fact you probably don't have a heck of a lot of choice <laughs> in the no I, I wouldn't say you do and I think um, Ajashanti is very is, is right that after awakening um, the stakes are higher and those things that you've been putting off avoiding not working on within yourself they come at you a lot faster yeah a lot of people say that too you know that um, if you haven't done your your house cleaning so to speak you're gonna have to do it after awakening 
before fact, some or teachers, after. Some teachers say you better try to do as much of it as possible before because, you know, you're not going to want to have to deal with the deluge of it that's going to come after you afterwards if you haven't done right. it before. <laughs> right. Although there is a little bit of a, you know, it's nice to have that stuff come at you when you're feeling bliss. Yeah. As opposed to feeling like you're suffering. It's true. I mean, you have the capacity to handle it much more readily. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I like the analogy of, you know, if you tried to dissolve uh, a spoonful of mud in a glass of water, it wouldn't go so well. But if you took that same mud and threw it in an ocean, you know, it's gone. You know, right. You don't see it any place. So. And there is a true sense of, um, uh, it's odd, you know, awakening kind of has this connotation. But for me, I just feel awake so that everything I look at, I can make quicker decisions. Huh. And I can just look at it, look at what what matters, what doesn't matter. Um, I, I went, when I got back to Bayfield, I had a retail sh shop as well. Mm -hmm. And um, and I went in there and within like one minute, it was like, no, I'm done with this. Yeah. <laughs> and, and it was done. Right. Even though I had been in that shop for seven years. Mm -hmm. um, and there's also a crystal clarity about time, mm -hmm. um, how valuable it is mm. and how, how close you know, I guess you could call it awakening. I could also call it death. Right. Like right here. It's, oh, yeah. It's, it's right around us. Uh -huh. And that veil between life and death is so thin. Yeah. You know, to me it felt like, well, if I just close my eyes, Keep I'm going. in death. Yeah. You know, I'm, I, it's that it's that close. So, so that sense of time, um, where I want to put my attention, what I want to have in terms of my time, the quality of life mm -hmm. um, has dramatically improved, actually. Yeah. Alma, the hugging saint, always says that, you know, our next breath could be our last. And she doesn't mean that in a morbid sense. She's not trying to scare people. But she says we should be like a bird that's perched on a twig and, and ready to just fly anytime the twig breaks. And, uh, you know, and that in itself, those metaphors kind of imply non-attachment and yeah. a sort of a freedom and spontaneity and, and all. I, I have, you know, certainly in my life and my spiritual path, embraced all, you know, those teachings yeah. and tried to, you know, Try emulate them, them right. and yeah, live by them and all the kind of, I wouldn't call them rules, but they're, you know, certain yeah. paradigms that you have to follow and it, it, it really, you know, it's like, well, do it or don't do it, but it's not really going to make any difference until you awaken and then you understand, oh, yeah, attachment, well, Right. It's an important point because a lot of times, perhaps more often than not, uh, descriptions of this state are mistaken as prescriptions for attaining it. You yeah. Know? And people read books or they hear teachers and, you know, the, this kind of state is described and then they try to, as you said, emulate. They try to sort of yeah. be that way or act that way. And, uh, you know, to... And it's putting the cart before the horse, I think. Yeah. Um, you know, and it, and it may actually be <coughs> may actually be detrimental, um, counterproductive. I don't know. Um, I mean, there's yeah. something to be said for having one's attention on this kind of thing and remembering it and all. But ultimately, I, you know, so it's not that one should just sort of forget it all and just drive truck and that's it. But I, you know. Like you, you yourself did spiritual practices for twenty years or something before you had this critical juncture. Um, let's see, yeah, probably more than 20. thirty. Well, since I was five, so yeah, more than forty years or more. <laughs> yeah, and uh, and if you hadn't done that, I 
suspect the outcome would have been different. You may very well not have had that awakening that you had if you came through the surgery. Although there are exceptions to everything yeah. one, one can say, and, and some people probably would have had it. But who knows? All, all, yeah. all I could say is I was so stubborn that it probably took death yeah. to wake me well, up. Well, that was the final sort of <laughs> prying loose. Yeah. Right? You'd been chipping away at it for a long time. Uh, you know, I've always heard that the you know really what allows awakening to to dawn is letting go yeah. of of your ego, letting go of well I let go of everything. Yeah, everything was gone. And you, know, you couldn't so. have done it voluntarily, I guess. I mean, you couldn't have. If someone had said to you a few weeks before your your crisis, you know, okay, just let go, you know, you would have said, well, how? I can't, you know, right? Or, or you would have tried and not been able to do it. Yeah. So it's not so much a volitional thing. And, you, and that, again, you hear people talking like that, you know, oh, just let go, don't be attached, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. And, uh, and it must be, it, it either f must frustrate people or it must sort of put them into a kind of a, a manipulative state where they're, they're trying to let go or you know, yeah. making a mood of letting go and you know saying oh or making making themselves kind of aloof in their personality like oh i don't really care about anything you know? yeah yeah and nothing matters and and all that stuff uh but it's it's kind of like uh painting the roses red you know the alice in wonderland thing it's not red right. roses it's painted roses <laughs> right the roses have to be red from the inside naturally i had a lot of people when I, my health was starting to go down mm -hmm. you know remind me of the Abraham teachings mm -hmm. and, and you know if you change your vibration then you'll get a different result mm -hmm. and um, it obviously didn't work um, <laughs> but to me looking back now I go that's just ego manipulation that's yeah. just the, the spiritual ego has got a hold of you and it's like well look at me I'm so pious I'm so you know spiritual I'm so and that's no different than just the regular ego yeah. It's just it's just it's the same, although it's more elusive because you feel like, well, now I'm spiritual now. Right. So. Yeah, that's a good point. So none of that happened, and and when people ask me, they say, well, um, was it because you had the right vibration, and you know, no, it wasn't what I was thinking. It's like my thoughts are just whatever they are. You know, mm -hmm. it wasn't my thoughts. It wasn't. If anything, there was a deep, deep knowingness that I wasn't in touch with that everything was okay, and that's. When I came back out, that was the message that I got yeah. um, from myself, I guess. Yeah. I don't know from where. Because it had been such a uh, such a, a breaking of boundaries for you to have gone through that. I mean, it just and and yeah, as we as we've been saying, you had been preparing the ground for that for decades, but it was the final kind of breakthrough. Yeah. Yeah. And after that, I was out in the parking lot in my hospital gown, bare feet, because I didn't have any shoes. Didn't have any money. Didn't have anything. Just yeah. Huh. Glad to be alive and glad to be out in the sun. I kind of a little while ago as we were talking, and uh, you were talking about the sort of transformation you underwent and how um, you know you had a, a lot of stuff hit the fan after your awakening that you had to deal with. It sort of made me think of the world at large because I sort of feel like the the whole of humanity is kind of uh, on a larger scale following the same. Uh, trajectory as an individual does in a way as they go through their s individual spiritual unfoldment and uh, you know with all the whole thing of working stuff out and purification and and so on and and that if there is a mass awakening if there is a sort of a dramatic shift 
in the entire global consciousness, which many people feel is very much underway, then it will be good to have worked out a lot of stuff before it hits, because otherwise it could be too cataclysmic to have to work it out abruptly. You know, and people who aren't at all prepared for that shift would find it sort of difficult to weather. Um, and I think, you know, in large part, that's what a lot of the spiritual teachers who've been around for, for decades now, uh, coming from India to the West or wherever, have been doing, uh, whether explicitly or not. They've, they've been um, kind of preparing the ground, you know, preparing the way for uh, this transition that we're about to undergo, or that we're in the midst of undergoing. And, you know, that may be wishful thinking and so on, but, you know, there's certainly a lot of people who think that that's what's happening. I, I, yeah, I mean, I, well, it's hard for me to say, but I, I would say yes. Yeah. There is a lot happening. I see more people um, awakening. Mm -hmm. So um, something's happening because there's more awakening now than there probably has been in the whole history of humankind. Yeah. One of my guests a few months ago used the example of the Buddha and saying it was as though he had to, he had to pierce through a very thick membrane to get his awakening. Because there, there was just so much inertia, and now so many people have pierced that membrane that it's a lot thinner and a lot easier to pierce, mm. and that you know a lot of people are awakening much more readily now than ever before. Yeah, although um, I, I know some people that are have I, I would say they've awakened, mm -hmm. but they don't know it. Mm -hmm. They don't even know what awakening is. Yeah. Um, so you know tapes like this really help people to understand. Oh, that's what happened to me. Yeah. Well, that was one of my one of my motivations in doing this show uh, is that you know I live in a town where several thousand people have been meditating for decades, and uh, I think there are a lot of people walking around who have, for all intents and purposes, awakened. But there's like you said, there's a sort of an ingrained habit way of thinking and, and acting and, and seeing the world, and they're not all going to have open heart surgery. So uh, <laughs> you know. If some, if somehow, hearing person after person after person tell their story, and if they can recognize something in, in in each person's story or maybe in one person's story that resonates with them, maybe it will trigger uh, a realization. You know, maybe they'll feel like, oh, you know, he's talking about what I actually have, and I didn't realize that what I have is that that I was looking for, and he didn't realize it either. And it, after a year of you know, sorting things out, he did realize it. So, hey, you know, uh, maybe I've got yeah. something here. You know, maybe these 40 years of meditation have actually paid off and I don't have to sort of give up and just feel like it's never going to happen for me. I think there is definitely a knowledge component. Yeah. It almost, and almost when you just get this little twist in your knowledge and you go, oh, that's what that is. Yeah. That's what that means. That's what unity consciousness is. You uh -huh. know, I, you know I, I didn't know that that's what it was. I was listening to a lecture just the other night by Jerry Jarvis, who was one of the founders of the PM movement, and he was saying that experience leads to knowledge, but knowledge leads to enlightenment. Mm. Yeah. yeah, that makes total sense, because yeah. you can have the experience. Um, anyway, I, I, yeah, I, I definitely find that at this point, it's not like there's going to be more awakening, mm -hmm. um, but what's I'm, what I'm going through now is this process of understanding what's already taking place. Yeah. And, and watching these clouds come over um, 
you know, the, the, the Velcro thoughts that Aji Shanti calls them that grab me and then I can kind of look at them so that the sun comes back out. So mm-hmm. there's times when those things will come, um, but with a lot more clarity. Yeah. Let's pause for a second. Um, we're going to change tapes, I think. We just took a little break. My name is Rick Archer. I'm talking to with Doc Roberts from Durango, Colorado, um, skiboards.com, who uh, had a rather dramatic awakening a couple of years ago. Dramatic in the sense that it occurred, I don't know if we can say as a result of, but um, somehow or other in conjunction with open heart surgery and, and almost dying and so on. Well, it was actually open lung surgery. Open lung surgery. Yeah, they well, they also had to massage your heart. To get me back to life, yeah. Surgery was actually to um, clear the blockage in my lungs. Yeah. So they hadn't actually been planning on massaging your heart or no. even getting at your heart, but they had no. to to keep you alive. Yeah. yeah, they said that the, I was the only one that arrived that was dead before I got to the operation. Wow. And they said of all of those... Um, I was the least likely to survive the operation. Huh. So, kind of like the, the high school kid who's least likely to succeed. <laughs> yeah. And <laughs> you made it. Yeah. That's great. But it's sort of like you really took it right down to the wire, didn't you? I certainly did. <laughs> yeah. Got it right down to the, like, taking my last breath. Yeah. Huh. Amazing. Interesting story. So, um, what have we. Is there any kind of particularly interesting area that we haven't covered yet that, you know, has been in the back of your mind or that you usually talk about with people when you talk about this stuff? Or? Well, in the beginning, I did. When I came here, I was talk- I just couldn't help talk but talk about it. Here to Fairfield. Yeah. Yeah. And then I was starting to get the third degree. It's like, well, do you witness sleep? Right. You know, and, and I was like, oh, well, no, I'm not witnessing sleep, so maybe this isn't it. So that was kind of leading to the doubt. Well, you witnessed open heart surgery and open lung surgery. Well, I mean, that consciousness was there during that surgery, you know? Yeah, but I mean, I wasn't, like, watching myself, you know, being operated on. Yeah, but I don't think that's what really is meant by witnessing sleep, you know, because witnessing sleep in that sense would mean that there's some little guy up here looking at something else over here, yeah. and that there's sensory activity going on, and yeah. perhaps even yeah. intellectual or mental activity, whereas in, 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 the, in the truer sense of the term, I think witnessing sleep just means that, what you said, consciousness awake to itself, yeah. irrespective of you know, any awareness of body or anything else. It's, it's not a functional, perceptual kind of thing. It's more a, a much more kind of grounded, uh, ground state sort of awareness. Yeah, well, I was a little bit confused, obviously, too, with my TM background. Yeah. Thinking, oh, well, witnessing means, you know, I've had dreams where I, like, watch myself dreaming. And yeah, like lucid dreaming. Yeah, and I yeah. figured that. But then eventually, you know, it was actually only a, a little while, and then I just, like, realized, it's like, well, wait a minute. When I was, you know, dead, I was fully alive. I was conscious. Yeah. I mean, there was a consciousness there. Yeah. And when I sleep, it's still there. Not like I'm watching myself sleeping, and gosh, I'm glad I don't. So bingo, you witness sleep. Congratulations. <laughs> Put that one to rest. So, so then, I, but then, what I really noticed was there's this ongoing, continuous sense of bliss. Yes. No matter what else is happening, there's always this bliss. Bliss to fall asleep. Bliss to wake up. Yeah. Yeah. And it's not that. a whoop de doo, you know, three cups of coffee, yeah, yeah, kind no. of bliss. It's it's a quieter thing. I think. Yeah. It's very just yeah subtle. But you just feel it in your body. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Even when the going gets rough? Yeah. 
Yeah. Well, there may be times when you're driving and you're like, you know, in a tight situation. I may not notice right. it. Right. Just like focusing on that. Focusing on whatever I need to. Yeah. Yeah, but it's always there if I just want to relax into it. Yeah. I sometimes like to use the analogy of, you know, both with consciousness or with even bliss, of like, uh, you know, if there were a tone playing, and this is just an analogy, not any kind of literal thing, if there were a tone playing, you know, generally speaking, you wouldn't be sort of listening to the tone all the time, because you'd be attending to whatever you're doing, you would, you'd get used to the tone, right. but if you chose to, at any point, you could listen, and, oh yeah, sure, there's the tone, it's there all the time, you know, this continual frequency or whatever, and... Uh, Again, it's just an analogy. I'm not suggesting that in an awakened state you hear some kind of tone, but similar idea. I mean, there's this ground state of, of, of awareness, of bliss, and so yeah. on. And uh, it's not like you're just kind of, you know, walking around ooing and eyeing all day long, uh, wallowing in it. But it's a, it's a, it's there. It's a, it's kind of the yeah. background or foundation of, of whatever else is going on. Now there was about two months after my operation um, when I got back. That I had one of these, you know, what I would just call these zapper dreams. Uh -huh. um, and this man walked up to me in my dream and he held my hand and he looked at my eyes and he said, Be careful. Uh -huh. And who was the man? And as soon as I woke up, the name Adyashanti. Uh -huh. I knew it was Adyashanti. Did it look like him with his shaped head? I didn't know Adyashanti. Uh -huh. I didn't know who he was. <laughs> so, uh -huh. so it was like, that's why it really stuck because if it was Maharshi, Maharishi or. Any of the, I'd go, oh, well, that's just, you know, old stuff. Yeah. But this was new. This was, like, very real. Mm -hmm. And so immediately, of course, I woke up and I went, well, who is he? And he can't be a spiritual teacher. Doesn't he know? You know there's nothing to be concerned about. Yeah. You don't have to be careful. But I got it. And so when I was skiing in the trees one day, and I just, I was noticing that I was just feeling all unbounded mm -hmm. with absolutely no fear of death. Right. And, and then the words came back. It's like, careful yeah you know because to me it was like well i could run into this tree and die and yeah. nothing would change so like sunny bono <laughs> yeah what would matter right um but so i took that yeah that was um and so i've got i've had a couple of dreams like that where they just kind of zap me mm -hmm. and it shakes shakes me up a bit yeah when i wake up and if i were to interpret that i would say that you know awake people are are, are fairly valuable commodity in today's world you know they can play a significant role, even if it's not a big, famous public role. And but just the, you know, having such people around in greater and greater numbers, I think, helps the whole, uh, you know, the whole shift to take place. Yeah. So you know, we don't want you to go knocking your brains out against a tree or anything. <laughs> well, the other thing was, it was kind of like, well, I've already been dead. I know what dead is like. Yeah. You know, it's it's cool and everything, but there's not much going on there. You know, yeah. This is much more interesting. At least at the stage you were at. Yeah, I mean, who knows what happens. I don't know, but there's more. In, there's more interesting here. There's more, you know, yeah. stuff to do. You can ski and yeah, yeah, stuff. Yeah, yeah. Um, you said something interesting a while back where you said that um, you're not going to get any more awake, but maybe your knowledge will grow or something like that. And um, do you do you, do you sort of feel though that there could actually be like if you think of yourself as a reflector that is you know re reflecting consciousness could there be a, a clarification still of the reflector where the reflection got brighter or clearer yeah yeah that's yeah. what i would say more yeah i'd probably use the word enlivening right it's not like i can get more um 
Well, it's not like consciousness itself is going to change, but yeah. your ability yeah. to appreciate or live it. Or, yes. Yeah. Kind of like, you know, the sun's just going to be the sun, but uh, but the mirror could be cleaned and, and then it would reflect the sun more brightly or something. Yeah. So now I see things that come to me, good or bad, mm-hmm. as those things that I, I want to look at and, and be with um, and process because it's going to bring more of that, the, the joy of awakening. Yeah. It's going to open that up more. Do you have a sense that whatever comes to you is what's meant to come to you and that there's some in lesson inherent in it or some, some knowledge? I do know there's a flow. Mm-hmm. Um, and my desire is to be in that flow because mm-hmm. that's the most joyous. Yeah. So whatever, you know, it's just kind of moving in this current. Now, the other part of me is, of course, the business person that says, well, you know, but if it doesn't go the way I want it to, then <laughs> I'll need to do this. Yeah. Um, and so there's a little bit of conflict there, but I know ultimately what is true yeah. is that there's always that flow. Mm-hmm. And as similar to the birds and the butterflies and everything else in creation, they're all celebrating. Yeah. Always just being the joy of being alive. It's only us humans walking around going, well, as soon as I get this, then I'll be happy. Right. <laughs> Since yeah. letting go of that is interesting. Well, I'm going to go on a little bit here sure. because with money, um, I noticed it particularly because um, there's this, you know, well, you got to have a plan or you need to do some things to, to, to make money. Mm-hmm. Um, and Or I need to accumulate it, you know, have more in savings so then I'll feel... Well, the interesting thing is the divine flow is all about now. Yeah. And so to let go into that is trust. Now, before I was trying to trust. Mm-hmm. Now I know what trust is, and I know what the surrender is. Um, but it doesn't look like, you know, oh, well, then you're going to have all this, you know, all these things coming to you all the time. It looks like here's what you need now. Yeah. And the things may or may not come, but... Yeah, and probably, they may or may not come. Probably if you're tending more fully to the now, they have a better chance of coming. Like you said, you know, you walked into your retail store and you thought, I'm done with this. Yeah. Now, if you hung on to the retail store because of some intellectual reason why you ought to hang on to it or something, it could have, you know, could have ruined you or something. Or it could have wasted a lot of money and time and energy and yeah. distracted you from the thing which could, which could be more uh, lucrative. Yeah. Yeah. So there is there is a wisdom there, um, and that trust and surrender. I mean, those are kind of really overused words, so they don't capture the the true essence of what it means to just let go into the flow. Yeah. Um, now, obviously, you know, you're running a business, and sometimes you're you're faced with challenging situations. You know, you must sort of have to really kind of apply yourself and and you know weigh alternatives and make a tough decision and and so on. Or, or is it not that way? No, no, it's 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 yeah. still that way, but there is a underlying sense of flow. Yeah, when something will just come at the right time. Yeah, and and then it's a matter of recognizing it. Right. And I don't always recognize it. To me, I ask for it in sets of three. So if I if something comes, I'll I'll listen. Comes the second time, I'll go oh. Huh, so maybe something's going on here. Yeah. The third time it's like, okay, that's what I need to do. I see. So that's my direction. Yeah. You don't wait to be hit over the head with a hammer. You say, okay, three hands. I already did that. Enough. Yeah, you did that. <laughs> well, you know, the guy I interviewed last week, Chuck Hilling, had this beautiful interpretation of Row, Row, Row Your Boat, you know, that song. And if, you, and if we could maybe go through it just briefly, but, you know, 
row, row, row your boat gently down the stream. There's the flow. But row, row, row your boat implies that you're not just sitting in the boat, letting the stream take you wherever it will, you know, running into some branches off on the side or something. You're right. actually, there is some direction, there is some initiative, uh, but it's gently, you know. You're not forcing it. You're not, you know, breaking your arms, paddling, or going against the current or anything else. Right. You know, um, you're, you're maybe steering around a rock here and, you know, guiding yourself there. And uh, But it's, there's a sort of a gentle... There's a verse from the Vedas, which I just, just came to mind, which was, be easy to us with gentle effort. Hmm. Pretty much says the same thing. So, but the word gentle, you know, and yet effort. You know, it's, it's not like we're just lying there with our mouth open waiting for food to fall into it. There has to be some effort. Yeah. But, but if you're kind of in tune with that flow, then it can be gentle and it can be easy. Unless your mind is saying something else. And that's where the... The fine line is because your mind could be going, well, yeah, but I don't know if that's going to work out, or I don't know if this, you know, or maybe I should be doing this, and, and, and all that stuff. But still, yeah. the old habits are there. You can hear the voices, although I gotta say, my, I'm relieved that I don't have as much thoughts as I used to, because they were constant. Yeah. But there is still that kind of thing where it's, you know, it can pull you. Oh well, you better do this, or you better, you know, you better do this, or. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that, that process, I think, at least for me, is one of just um, relaxing more and more into it. Yeah. And not necessarily liking what's coming. I can still say, well, I, I don't really like this challenge. Mm-hmm. But I know that it's right. Yeah. And I know that's what I need. So so it's different. There's, there's, there's a, a feeling of grace or love mm-hmm. kind of permeates everything. Yeah. Interesting. I hope you live a long time because I, I hope that because uh, I think it's it's such an adventure and it's such a a kind of a it's it's an adventure it's fun to, to see how life unfolds when you're in yeah. in this kind of flow thing you know yeah I mean every day's a, a joy and pretty much and uh, you know and it, but you know even if I mean I think this way myself it, it, you know wouldn't mind living to be ninety or hundred or something just to see how it continues to develop. On the other hand, if I die tomorrow, no biggie. You know, you kind of take the long view, and uh, right. You know that if that's what's meant to happen, then then it'll still be interesting. It'll still be an adventure. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's nice to actually live life the way I used to in my mind think you should live life, which is you know you only have this moment. Yeah. And you don't know what's coming next, and I feel like I wander sometimes in a world where everybody's all caught up in someday. Mm-hmm. And they're kind of, you know, you can almost see them living in their future plans and their schemes and their illusions of, you know, well, what am I going to do next? And, you know, well, as soon as I get here, then I'm going to have this and yeah. and missing life. Yeah. Because it's only happening here. That's what guys like Eckhart Tolle are so good at reminding people of. And, you know, for some people, it, as we were saying earlier, it might not be so practical because they're really not living it and it becomes a kind of a mental game. But I think for a lot of people it can definitely it can definitely shift them to a certain extent or even a great extent into actually living that way. You know? I mean there are many ways of going about it. They, there's an analogy that if you pull the leg of a table, the other legs will come along and the whole table will come along. Or you can pull a different leg and you get the same result. So there's so many things we can do, practices knowledge, different ways of uh, going about it that can um, to 
facilitate this kind of understanding and experience. And I think people naturally gravitate toward the thing that's going to work for them. Yeah, and if, it, and if it doesn't, then they'll leave that and gravitate towards something else. I think awakening is always unique. Yeah. You know, it just comes in many different forms. It really does. I, I remember Carlos Castaneda in, in his, uh, or the, you know, the teachings of Don Juan, mm -hmm. and one of them that I remember was that, you know, live your life as, as, um, as if death is right on your shoulder. Yeah, I remember that. Yeah, in fact, I wrote that quote down at one yeah. point. Yeah. 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 And I, for the longest time, was in, well, it's, I'd say the first six months after surgery, mm -hmm. my kids have a game called Bugdom. It's this little bug that goes through and does stuff. Mm -hmm. But there's a bee that always follows this bug around. It doesn't do anything, uh -huh. it, but it's always there. Uh -huh. And that's what awakening felt like to me. It's like, well, there's this thing that's always there. Yeah. <laughs> it never goes away. Uh -huh. But here I am doing this or doing this, but there it is. Huh. Um, it just kind of reminded me of that because that's that was kind of the the, the thing. It's it, um, it kind of like well, you can project into the future and you can think of all these things, and then you can think of some memory in the past. Mm -hmm. But there's something about being right in the present moment that's very different from the experience of the future or the past. Yeah. And whatever else is present in this present moment is what it is. That's it. Mm -hmm. um, so. You know, that always, that, that kind of thought always stuck with me too. It's like, yeah, there's something here in the present that doesn't exist anywhere else. Yeah. You know, and being in that, that simple form of awareness, there's always that presence mm -hmm. that's there. True. <laughs> Someone was quoting Eckhart Tolle today about him saying something about, you know, people say the Romans lived 2,000 years ago. The Romans didn't live 2,000 years ago. The Romans lived in the now. You know, just like we live in the now. Right. <laughs> right. No one lived 2,000 years ago. <clears throat> you can sort of look at it like that, but you know, ultimately yeah. time is a concept to measure eternity. And we just, it's only ever the now. Yeah. yeah. Which is interesting in this context of this discussion because, we're, you know, you're a living example of that. You know, you're actually living that, ex that's your daily experience, your, your moment to moment constant uh, experience. Back to that idea of knowledge, mm -hmm. I went to a group, it was about two months after I got back from surgery, it was a little group in Durango called Consciousness Circle. Mm -hmm. And there's about 25 people there, and they're all in a circle, and, the, and the, the facilitator said, okay, why don't we just go around the circle and, and um, just share what you do to stay in the present. Mm -hmm. And it kind of went around, and I waited, and then it came to me, I was like, I didn't know what to say. You don't do anything. <laughs> well, where, what else would yeah. I do? Where else would I go? Right. Well, what could you do to get out of the present? Well, <laughs> yeah, right, right, right. And it astounded me, and it astounded kind of everybody else because they're all saying, "Well, I meditate, or I, you know, breathe, or I, yeah. all this stuff." And it was like, huh? And it dawned, and it was like, wow, it, you know, something's yeah. changed here. Yeah. That was still when I was kind of going through, you know, what's happened. Well, do you still meditate and stuff like that at all? Um, I do when I feel a need for rest. A mm -hmm. lot of times I feel sitting on my deck, um, just sitting there with my eyes open and just you know, watching the birds and the deer and all that feels mm -hmm. to me the same. Yeah. But, but I'm able to take it all in this way mm -hmm. with my eyes closed and kind of missing some things. I see. So, you know, it's kind of whatever strikes me. Yeah. I guess. Do you ever feel like, or do you feel like you might
might ever a teacher of some sort, you know, like start have a little group and start talking to them or anything. Ever feel that impulse? Yeah. Yeah. I started uh, a satsang in Durango, huh. and then just got busy and, and stopped it. But uh -huh. yeah, I kind of I, I I get pulled in that direction. How was that going when you had it? Um, good. People were sharing their experiences, mm -hmm. and um, and they were getting the this you know kind of a idea of what awakening is, and um, so it was good. It was you know it's a very strong community of um, what would you say um, more interest in other spiritual things. Yeah. Because there's, there's not much, there's, there's nothing in the ego for awakening. And there's not really much, it's not like you get a big bang or a check. Yeah. <laughs> nothing, you know, right. nothing really changes. Um, but yet everything changes. But there's no real, you know, at least when you do past life regression, you get this experience. You mm -hmm. know, and then you go, wow, I've had this experience. Right. Some payoff. Yeah. So that in other words, there's nothing kind of specific package of content that you get to sort of write down or hang on your wall or, you know, make write a book about or something. It's, yeah. it's just presence. Well, no, I do feel like the ego in the beginning, my ego or, or my, like what would I would call my, um, my motion of my ego, that, that momentum, mm -hmm. um, would be like, wow, wow, look at me, I'm awake. You should like me more. Ah, you know? In other words, your ego is kind of getting a buzz out of the thing. Yeah, trying to grab <laughs> hold of that and go, okay, right. well, wow, look at us now. And, yeah. But it, it, it obviously just didn't stick. It was, it was kind of humorous. <laughs> yeah, okay, so yeah. what we do? Some people get quite carried away with that. I don't know if they're awake or not, but I mean, some people get you know really carried away with the notion that, they're, that they are special and should be revered and, you know, yeah. you know start adding suffixes to their names and you know, whatnot. Yeah. <laughs> so, I yeah, know. and I, it can be a pitfall. I, I've been reading this really cool book called uh, Halfway Up the Mountain, the, the Error of Premature Claims to Enlightenment by mm -hmm. Mariana Kaplan. And uh, she kind of itemizes it in 500 pages of this book, you know, goes through all the different, you know, pitfalls that, that, can, uh, that one can get into. Well, that spiritual seeker my biggest confirmation of awakening was, um, I, I think it was John that asked me, he said. John Macy, um, John Macy. my friend, yeah. Yeah, he said, um, well, how are you with, you know, do you feel like you need to be doing some things? You know, are, are, you, are you seeking? Mm -hmm. and, I, and I realized, no, yeah. not seeking anymore. Yeah. And what a relief. Yeah. Because I was in agony my whole life seeking this thing, this wanting to have this realization and you know all the courses and all the mm -hmm. meditating and all the discipline and all the stuff that I was doing and it's like all that energy is you know that I was putting there is now available to me yeah I don't I don't no longer where am I gonna go plus all the money for all those courses <laughs> exactly but uh, where am I gonna go what am I you know I, I don't have that looking for something anymore right and you know that too is sometimes uh, espoused as a prescription: stop seeking. You know? Right, right. And you know, and then people think, "All right, uh, I'm giving up. You know, I'm not going to seek anymore." Like, Golly, is this all there is to it? I mean, I really wish it would get better, but I'm not going to seek. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I have heard that too. Yeah, yeah. And had I heard that now, I mean, I, oh, I, before, I would have like, okay, well then I'll just stop meditating and I'll just stop looking for it. Yeah. But meanwhile, there's this little manipulation going on. It's like, well, then maybe this will work. Yeah, right. I mean, that in 
becomes a form of seeking. <laughs> right. I'm, really, I'm really not seeking. Boy, I'm so not seeking. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but um, obviously you stopped seeking because you found. You right. Know? And that's the time to stop seeking. Otherwise, seek if you feel like seeking. Yeah. You know, practice things, do things, meditate, do yoga, you know, whatever whatever yeah. you feel inclined to do. And if, if and when you reach a stage at which that lo- no longer feels appropriate, you'll know it. I'm not speaking of you specifically, but yeah, people I, in general will know it. I, yeah, they will, one way or the other. And, um, yeah. you know. I, think, I just think it can be a misguidance kind of thing to sort of just, as a blanket teaching, say, okay, everybody, stop seeking, give up the search. You know, it, that's, that's appropriate at a certain stage. And there are, in fact, stages. Yeah, well, I mean, there's, there's, there's that illusion that it's just around the corner. Yeah. And that is false. Right. It's not around the corner. It's right. always right here. Right. All you know, always now. Yeah. So in that sense, as long as there's that need or that grasping or that trying to meditate the next time because you're it's right. going to get closer, then you're caught in that illusion. Yeah. And so in that sense, it's like letting go or or, or just saying, "Well, I'm not going to seek anymore." Mm-hmm. The true meaning is just just be. Yeah. And here you are. Yeah, that's the other side of it, which is that one can get stuck in a rut where they're always chasing the carrot, you know, always looking for what's around the corner, where with just a little bit of sort of turning back and settling into what to what's here now, they can be content. So it's kind of like like so many other things, it's it's a paradox. Yeah. You know, there's uh, everything to be said for you know seeking and striving and and being diligent about that. There's everything to be said for just sort of fully appreciating and living in, in you know, the present moment. Yeah. And the two are not, you know, the two are not um, opposed to one another. You know, you can be content and yet be doing things which will deepen your experience and deepen your knowledge and so on. Yeah. Well, there's certainly a paradox. And that, that feeling of living with paradox is something you can, at least for me, can Absolutely. But, but it doesn't go away. It's still the paradox that, that it's like, oh, well, I could, you know, do this stuff or I could not do that stuff. Yeah. I just, I was listening to a, a lecture by Deepak Chopra the other day and he quoted Nisargadatta as saying, the best measure of enlightenment is the degree to which you're comfortable with paradox, uncertainty, and ambiguity. <laughs> I love that. I like the phrase delightful confusion. Yeah, that's a good one too. <laughs> Because you're delighted and you're blissful, and yet, how could you possibly understand any of this? All of you know, mm-hmm. what's awakening? What's life? How did all this get here? I, you know, that's beyond the mind. The mind can't grasp that. Yeah. So it's always got to be that sense of the unknown or the mystery mm-hmm. of life. Um, and embracing, for me, embracing that mystery has become a real joy. Yeah. Not knowing. Yeah. Not asking even questions at times. You mm-hmm. know, just say, I don't really care to know. Right. I just want to see what comes next. Yeah. That's good. So it's certainly the best entertainment in town. <laughs> I highly recommend it. Yeah. <laughs> huh. Just maybe not do it the way I did it. but No. People all have their ways of doing it. And, uh, you know, there's certainly plenty of options available for anybody who wants to sort of investigate more deeply into this kind of thing. I mean, yeah. there's no end of books and courses and teachers yeah. and teachings and 
think, you know, we just follow our hearts and seek out that, that thing which is most effective for us. Well, One size does not fit all. Yeah, and it's certainly worth everything to have it. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's been the biggest deal of, you know, the, the highest uh, ideal of every, every culture for thousands of years. Yeah. And yet, you know, it's not like fireworks going off. It's not like, um, you know, I mean, some people have that impression that if somebody is enlightened or awake, walk into a coffee shop without blowing everybody away by their mere presence. Right. You know, <laughs> because, and, and they must, you know, be two feet off the ground and, and just this awesome, pre awesome person. Right. You know, and I, I don't think it always shows up like that. Uh, and I've had conversations with some people that are very, very spiritual and have read all the books and, mm -hmm. and then they'll see me um, get angry over something. Right. And they go, oh, well, then, you know, that's not awakening. Because you're supposed to just always be peaceful and blissful, and but yeah. still have a, a personality. Have these people been people who've been into TM? Yeah. Well, boy, they never spent much time around Marishi then. I know. I mean, you <laughs> still have used to really blow his stack. Yeah, you have your personality. You yeah, know? and however that reacts, it reacts. Um, you know, and I, I don't see that as a flaw. It's just the way you are. You know, yeah. something happens, and you don't. You know, you, you respond a certain way. It's an emotion. Yeah. All right. And. What you probably experience is that you don't stay angry for three days. No, I mean, you know? there's no, yeah, that's suffering. <laughs> that's true suffering. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> there's that old saying in the in the Vedic literature again. It's like you know, line on stone, line on water, line on sand, line on you know, different substances. You make a line, and in some of them it really etches in deep and stays there. Right. Others it just goes away. Right. And you know, from a the enlightened person is supposed to be more like a line on air, where the pass your arm through it, there is there is an impression, but no remnant. Yeah. yeah. So that's hard for people to understand, I would say, is that sense of, um, you know, you're supposed to look a certain way, be a certain way, yeah. be always blissful. And, and it's a traditional question. I mean, 5,000 years ago, Arjuna asked Lord Krishna, what is an enlightened man like? You know, how does he walk? How does he sit? How does he act? Yeah. And, you know, and Krishna basically said, he sits united. You know, he didn't give any external criteria so much, uh, you know, that he could sort of use to authoritatively define it. It was more like, you know, more internal, you know, the senses are not, a, you're not attached and things like that. Not attached to the fruits of action and, you know, it's an inner condition. Yeah. What does that mean? You know, I you know I know in the beginning days I was like asking people what is it, what is it, and talking to all these people and sharing my experience and and now I don't really feel the need to do that anymore. Huh. You know, there's no it's like you, mean you felt like you need to run around and tell everybody about yeah what you're, yeah, yeah. there's mostly because I was trying to like figure it out for me what happened yeah, yeah. what happened to me and now I rarely talk about it except when I'm here in Fairfield right I don't talk about it where everybody places. talks about it all the time yeah <laughs> yeah. Yeah. There's a common understanding, and it doesn't shake right. things up. But but in general, yeah. in my life, I mean, I don't talk to my kids about it. They ask me what death is like. Yeah. And I explain that to them. And, uh -huh. 
Well, maybe the novelty sort of wore off too. I mean, you kind of came to terms with it, adjusted to it. You got yeah. your own understanding sort of sorted out. And yeah. Yeah. So it's not so, you're not so obsessed with it <laughs> as you were in the beginning. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm, what would you say, anchored in it, I guess? Yeah, more grounded um, in it, settled. And, and enjoying the unfolding. Um, so the words start to break down, I notice a lot. You know, I can't quite pinpoint. It's kind of like I could say, I'm awakened. Mm-hmm. Well, that would be true, except I'm not really here. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. so it, was just, it was just awakening. Right. And I was just, you know, this life for me was just added on to it. Mm-hmm. That's how it felt when I came back. Yeah. Was already there, and then there's like, oh well, let's add this mm-hmm. experience um, of Doc Roberts. You know, let's let's see how it works through this through this guy. Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> Lines from the Incredible String Band: "Light, light that is one, though the lamps be many." Mm. Yeah, nice. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I sort of have that feeling now that I always get at about this point in the interview, where we could sit here and just continue to chit chat like this for the next hour or two, but people might get a little bored after a while. So, okay, these guys are going to say anything new. <laughs> so, uh, you know, unless, you, unless, you, yeah, unless you think of, uh, you have anything in mind that we really ought to have covered that we haven't, maybe we should uh, wrap it up. Unless you want to get into our discussion of past lives and whether they really exist or not. What do you know Probably about those? Probably not. <laughs> well, I had another, well, I had another one of those dreams. Mm-hmm. And, um, and in the dream, this is voice, uh, maybe not even a voice, a knowing came. It's like, there aren't any past lives. Mm. No such thing as past lives. Mm. But it was in the sense of, I continue yes. from life to life. Right. Because from the perspective of the absolute consciousness, pure consciousness, there's, um, you know, a, a being is born. They may pull all these various experiences. That being comes into this life and remembers, you know, a time in Egypt or whatever. Mm-hmm. But that wasn't him there. Huh. That was just a time in Egypt. You pull all this together, mm. um, and you you could say, "Oh, that was my past life." But yeah. There's no my past mm. life. There was a past life, and that shook me a lot because I always had that yeah. concept ingrained. And then I realized the truth of it is the truth of it is it's 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 an it's the ego side of saying, Oh well I was a king in Egypt or I in this life <clears throat> I have this problem because last life, you know, this happened. Mm-hmm. And when you pull the my out of it and you just realize you you're here with these um, experiences, mm. you know, seem like they were some other time, but that wasn't me. They all form who I am um, in this life, and probably set me up for certain experiences. Huh. But when I die, I'm gone. Hmm. I, you know, Doc Roberts. I'm, yeah. I'm done. I'm not going to be there in the next life, figuring it all out again. Hmm. Um, because there's, there's only one thing, and that's pure consciousness. Yeah. Well, you know, let me play devil's advocate to that. This is interesting the way you put it. Um, there's only one thing, pure consciousness, but also, but we do acknowledge manifest existence, and we and we live in it, you know, and we have a physical body. If if we break our leg, we go and take, we have 
that taken care of mm -hmm. and so on. And you know, many people say we have, we also have sort of, there's said to be these different koshas or sheaths, which are like the Russian dolls, like subtler and subtler aspects of, right. of our manifest existence. And you know, the innermost one, uh, uh, you know, close to, but not exactly at the level of your consciousness is supposed to be the jiva, or the, the sort of the kernel or the soul or essence of what we are as a manifest expression. And um, you know, I don't know, I guess you're saying that, that that sort of individuated expression uh, is completely like a drop into the ocean when one dies and all the molecules get mingled with all the other molecules and then maybe some evaporation takes place and more drops come out and maybe it contains some of the original molecules from that first drop, but it's, it's a totally unique drop. It's not like the same first drop that got evaporated and came out and formed right. another cloud. Right. Um, now I can't say. I mean, obviously, I don't. You know, I don't know. I, I yeah. know less now than I've ever known. Right. <laughs> you know? So it's just based on the dream that you're sort of thinking of it. In but it was like I know I can recognize that sense of shaking. You know that the whole the whole um, me yeah. starts to shake. Uh -huh. It's like something gets shoked, um, broken loose. Yeah. And for me, that resonated as truth. Huh. And I realized I didn't like it. I realized that, yeah. you know, that that was my experience when I was on in, in death yeah. for two weeks and came back, or in, in pure consciousness yeah. for two weeks. But, you know, it's like you came back with a memory of, you know, your apartment and your books and your kids and your ex-wife and your business and all that stuff. It's You didn't come back as me, you came back as you, you know. So there was something... You could say it's just because of your particular nervous system and the impressions in your particular brain, which are eventually going to you know, turn to dust, and then all that stuff will be gone. But, you know, there could also be, I'm saying, I'm postulating, uh, a subtler structure which doesn't get destroyed when the body gets destroyed, and which actually retains those specific impressions in a, in a sort of discrete way, and that, that, subtle, that subtle structure then goes and occupies another physical body, and so you get some kid that, you know, can play piano brilliantly at the age of five or speak German or something like that, you know? Right. Where did that come from? I mean, maybe it just got, you know, drawn out of the, the ocean with a particular bucket of, okay, here's the, here's the Mozart experience, now you can, you can play like this, uh, even though this particular soul, you know, as an entity never existed, I mean, didn't exist specifically before. But it could also be, it seems to me, that, you know, we're all sort of progressing as, I don't know, I, I'm starting well, to... I would, like to I would like to think your way, you yeah. know, that, yes, we do continue from life to life. Yeah. This came along just like, oh, and I, and I recognized that there's some truth there. Yeah. And probably it's a combination of both. It could know, be one of those paradox things. Yeah. You know, knowledge is different in different states of consciousness, and on one level that's true, and on one level this is true. And even though they're paradoxically, you know, opposed, they also, in the larger context, all fit happily together. I mean, I do know that Doc Roberts, in this unique configuration, is not going to be here again. No. I mean, you might be born as a woman next time if you're born again. Right. And, uh, you know, with maybe some proclivities from this life retained, but who knows? Well, I mean, they say that there's two kinds of karma. There's Parabdha karma and Sanchitta karma, and Parabdha karma is supposed to be like this huge mountain range of karma, 
and Sanchita is like supposed to be this bucket that we take from the mountain range when we take birth, <coughs> and that's what kind of um, mo you know um, motivates or, or animates this particular life. Mm. And uh, but I don't know if we each have our own mountain range or each have our own huge load of Karabda karma, or if it's a kind of communal communal thing that we take a bucket from. It's it's all very speculative. I mean, in my mind at least, it's the people who have written books about this stuff and put it down as scripture. I don't know if they were just good speculators like we're doing now or if they really knew it with some kind of certainty due to the depth of their insight. Don't know. I don't know either. All I know is it's um it's interesting getting used to not knowing. Yeah. Yeah. Um cuz before I always had to know. Yeah. This quest. It's fun knowledge. to play with. Yeah. But if you expect to kind of resolve anything. And I mean there's some people in this world that hang on so tightly to belief as though it were absolute truth. Belief, you know, whether you know, whether they're willing to blow themselves up for it or blow other people's up, people up, uh, because they're so certain that this is the way it is. Yeah. yeah. And I would like to think, okay, well, I continue body to body, and as I hear so many people say, well, if I don't get it right this life, I'll just right. you know get it right the next life. Yeah. And so, kind of, almost in a sense, allows them to not be here. Yeah. And there's also the whole thing of sort of justice and mercy and, and you know, if somebody is a mass murderer in this life, do they get off scot-free or do they have to sort of face the consequences? And, and if a child is born with some terrible disease, you know, where how could there be a compassionate God who would allow that to happen? And, and isn't that the consequence of them being a mass murderer last time, you know, and now, but I don't know, you know, who knows? It's all just speculation. Right. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I'm sure people listening to this have all played with these ideas before. And uh, I guess all we, we're saying to conclude is just that um, you, know, you just can't be... It, it, awakening is, in a way, it's not, um, it's not stepping into adamant certainty about things. It's, it's, it's adjusting to being comfortable with uncertainty. Just being here now. Just being. That's it. And yeah. nobody knows what's coming next. Yeah. You know? So it's enjoying whatever comes next. Yeah. Huh. Good. Well, it's a good time to stop because I'm getting too talkative. And I, All right. I don't like it when I talk to <laughs> more than the guest does. <laughs> right. <laughs> so thanks, Doc. Yeah. Uh, it's really been fun. And uh, God willing, this camera that we were using for the first time will have worked and we'll get a good interview out of this. That would be nice. And in any case, you recorded it, so we'll have it in audio, if nothing else. Yeah, hopefully. Uh, yeah. So, uh, this has been Buddha at the Gas Pump. My guest has been Doc Roberts. Isn't there some gun, gunslinger or something named Doc Roberts? Uh, Doc Holliday. Doc Holliday, right. right. And, uh, you live in Durango, you know? Yeah, yeah. And uh, we will be doing one of these every week for the foreseeable futures and there uh, are about 30 of them now archived on batgap.com and podcast youtube channel and all kinds of things you can do so check that out batgap.com b-a-t-g-a-p and we'll have uh, doc's page up um, shortly and there'll be links to his business but uh, and you don't have a website about yourself you just have your business i have a i have a website um, vocationalawakening.com and i have a blog up there Cool. I talk about awakening, also talk about how to find your true vocation. Oh, good. So we'll, we'll link to all that so people can read about it if they want to. So thanks, Great. and uh, we'll see you next time. Yeah, thank you.